Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 467 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Sunday, December 11th, 2022, and we are entering, well, we, it's not like we're taking them, but the Duke Basketball Report is entering the exam break along with the Duke men's basketball team. Team is is now 10 and 2, uh, which is a which is a great feeling for Duke. And we are going to talk about their win over Maryland Eastern Shore, a school that I'm sure all of you knew about last week. I am your host for this week. I am Sam Klein. I'm joined by Jason Evans and Donald Wine, as I often am. And I need to apologize before I say hi to the guys for not showing up on the episode last week, despite the tease from Jason that I might appear at some point. Uh, occupational hazard. So, Jason, good morning. How are you? I'm doing great. I had a I had a really interesting past several days. Uh, wagering money and winning money. And I will tell everyone about that a little later in the show. Do we have to issue one of those, one of those gambling warning, gambling addiction warnings that they have to do on all the DraftKings commercials for this, or because we're not sponsored by them, we're okay. We, we are, uh, unless there's a secret ad that we're not aware of yet. No, we do not have to issue any disclaimers. Okay. And Donald is also here. Donald, uh, any vices you need to promote this morning? No, but if I can, if I can take a minute, um, you know, in my world, obviously you guys know I'm in college basketball and also on the soccer side and on this, honestly, on both sides of this, uh, we lost a great man a couple of days ago and Grant Wall, um, he, you know, was a guy who became a good friend of mine over the years, just through the soccer travels, but also, uh, you know, as renowned a legend as he is in the soccer world for journalism he also was that in the college basketball world. A lot of people don't realize that before he really did full-time soccer, he was covering college basketball. He covered, you know, the the chosen one article about LeBron James was a Grant Wall uh, article. Super um, famous you know, article, yeah. Super yeah, famous. I mean, one of the yeah. one of the more famous articles in the history of, you know, Sports Illustrated was uh, a lot of those were written by Grant Wall. Um, he died covering the World Cup. It was his eighth men's World Cup. He had done five men's World or women's World Cups before that. Um and it was just a big loss for all of us, and especially for those who knew him well, uh, like I did. He had been on one of my podcasts before. I had been on his podcast a couple of times. We always kind of hung out um, during all these soccer travels that I go on. He was always there, always you know willing to help out and amplify voices that were uh, that he felt needed to be lifted up. So uh, for those who knew Grant, for those who appreciated his work, um, you know, rest in peace to Grant. We thank him for what he brought to the game and, and just hopefully we all can do a little bit to continue his legacy. And thank you, Donald, for for mentioning that and bringing it up. Um, you know, we obviously didn't know him as well as you did, but appreciated his writing and, and his coverage, as you said, not only of soccer, but of all kinds of sports content through the years. And uh, and so so thank you for uh, for doing that. If yeah, I can really quick. It's unbelievably tragic when someone dies this young. It seems um, there's no solace for anyone who knew him, Donald, or for his family or anything like that. At least, at least he died doing what he loved. I mean, covering the World Cup. Um, but it's, uh, you know, it's so difficult when someone goes at this age and it makes, he's he's, he's younger than I am. So it, it makes it makes all of us take a moment and think about, you know, are we spending our time wisely? So th thanks for, thanks for giving us perspective on it. Yeah. Uh, no easy way then to transition to the Duke game, but let's do that for this episode. Uh, we're not going to get ahead of ourselves and, and preview a Wake Forest game. That's not happening for like two weeks. So all we're going to do today is recap uh, Duke's final non-conference game against Maryland Eastern shore uh, whether you got to watch it or not last night, the final score was Duke 82, Maryland Eastern Shore 55. If you look up the win probability graph on Ken Palm, you might think it's broken because it doesn't look like there's anything there. That's because Duke never had less than a 98.5% chance of winning this game, which is uh, basically what we had hoped for in the preview that that you guys did the other day for this one. But a, a few interesting wrinkles here. One was devastating that maybe we should do even before the head toe injury, which uh, brings up no bad memories, of course, for Duke fans talking about star point guards having uh, having toe injuries in December. But 
with with that all out of the way, maybe we can just briefly talk about the Roach injury before we actually get to the game. So, Jason, can you fill us in? What do we know right now about the Roach injury and how potentially serious it is? I mean, we don't know a, a, a great deal. I've I've heard some stuff that that it happened. It didn't happen against Iowa. That it happened even earlier than that. That it Ohio State. Against, yeah, and so it it's something that clearly wasn't so bad that he had to sit out practices and sit out the game right after it happened or anything like that. It's something that probably has been nagging him for a little while. Duke recognized that this game against Maryland Eastern Shore was one that would not be tremendously competitive. And so they said, you know what, rather than have Jeremy risk it and continue to to play on on something that's nagging, a, a nagging injury, let's just, ha- let's shut him down and and you know, hopefully he'll be better by the time we play Wake Forest. The the rest of Duke's games are ACC games, and not that, not that the ACC schedule counts more than the regular than the uh, non conference schedule, but the ACC schedule counts more than the non conference schedule. It does. <laughs> so I think they want him to be really ready for that. My 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 impression would be that that this is something where if, if this was a big game, he would have played uh, as he did against Iowa. So I I think it's probably not something that's going to last the way Kyrie's injury did. The word load management was used a lot last night by several journalists who follow uh, or beat writers for Duke. So uh, I'm inclined to think, yes, Jason, like probably after Madison Square Garden, they go, hey, just get a head start on uh, the Wake Forest game on the 20th and rest now. We'll take care of Maryland Eastern Shore. And that way we have three extra days of rest for that toe. So with Roach out. John Shire goes with an all-freshman lineup last night. He inserts Dariq Whitehead in Roach's place. So Tyrese Proctor was the starting point guard last night, and Dariq Whitehead was the second smallest guy on the team, which means that Duke was running a fantastically large lineup, something like 6'5", 6'7", 6'9", and then however big Kyle Filipowski and Derek Lively purport to be somewhere around the the seven foot mark. So it I think was they a call them. Se- I think they say they're seven foot and seven one. And by the way, I've talked about this lineup a couple times, like in the preseason and early this year. I'm like, you know, if if Roach isn't in there, we have this lineup because Proctor is a six five point guard. We have this lineup that's massive. Well, there we rolled it out there, baby. It was fun to watch, and uh, it was it was fun, maybe a little bit sloppy. So why don't we start with sloppy. the the <laughs> why don't we start with the headlines, Donald? I'm going to let you go first. Yeah, so my headline was Duke's freshman shoot through sloppy play to defeat Maryland Eastern Shore. And of course, shoot is spelled S-C-H-U-T-T. Yeah, and we're going to talk uh, about Jaden Shoot's. I, it's not his debut performance for Duke, but his his best one so far, given his limited minutes. Jason, give me your headline. Uh, I promise I was not peeking at uh, Donald's paper and copying his answer. My headline says five freshman starters produce sloppy but successful Duke win. Yes. Uh, and and I wanted to share uh, one that I really liked from the emails. Uh, Norris David, I believe, sent us one that was great. Uh, I'm, I'm going to I cut love off this part one. of this his. Is, this is so much better than ours. It's not even close. This was this was the right one, right? No Cameron for old men. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm just I'm just keeping it with that. Uh, I, I love I love I love that reference. So uh, no Cameron for old men. I also uh, had a had a shoot and and youth pun that is is not worth sharing. Uh, so I'm going to I'm just I'm just going to take the listener one because I was being redundant to you guys. So why don't we start then? Um, maybe, Donald, you can take it to any of the any of the freshmen who started last night, because I think there were definitely some high points. We definitely have to talk about low points, mainly in the name of turnovers. But Donald, where do you want to start in terms of what was good? from this, you know, cruising win over Eastern Shore. So from the players that started, I'm going to go with Dariq Whitehead. His best game, uh, his trajectory so far, you know, over the last week, we've seen, you know, leaps and bounds, a lot more of the flashes and and the more sustained play of the Dariq Whitehead we expected to see uh, before his injury in the preseason. He had 15 points, uh, two steals, two assists, two rebounds, and a block. Uh, You know, again, starting... Yeah, taking over uh, the game at certain points, he had what I thought was, a, you know, I'll talk about my favorite play of the game, but he definitely had it uh, in the second half uh, with a vicious dunk where he yammed on somebody. But um, I, I think when it comes to Dariq Whitehead, 
we've talked about how the more he plays, the more he practices, the better he's going to get. And the more of the Derek Whitehead we expected to see will come, will emerge. And we started to see that. And last night was no exception. He co-led the team in points alongside Tyrese Proctor. So if you're keeping track at home, that is five Duke players that have led the team in scoring in a game so far this season. Um, I believe we are getting close to uh, Jason and, and Sam territory when it comes to the number of players that will lead a team in scoring this year. But uh, I, I thought he had a tremendous performance. Tyrese Proctor quickly, plus 30. I mean, he had 15 points, but he had a plus 30 in the plus minus category. Every time he was on the floor, something was going right. Um, that's what that says. Um, so Tyrese Proctor had a great game. Again, filling in in a way with the ball handling duties oh, in the absence of Jeremy Roach. Derek Whitehead brought the ball at times. Tyrese Proctor brought the ball at times. And I like the fact that we have multiple guys that can command and run the offense because again if Jeremy Roach is not in the game and Tyrese Proctor is not in the game we still have someone that can step up and handle the load of the primary ball handling responsibilities Derek Whitehead did that great last night I, you know I don't know that Whitehead is there yet but I, I agree with you that he, we're getting more and more glimpses of it that three minute run he had in the second half um, from the 744 mark to the 440 mark he scored nine points in three minutes punctuated by that that nasty yam he had and and a and a pull-up three-pointer um he then had a little heat check three-pointer that he took that didn't go yeah down. i like that, <laughs> yeah, but that it that, always did yeah you want you want that guy doing that kind of thing uh I, but we're, we're getting more and more of the glimpses and it, and it is exciting because there's no question that he brings things to the table that that there just aren't a lot of other guys in this team or or in the country that that can do i mean there's not a lot of guys who can who can shoot pull up threes the way he did, handle the ball he did the way he did, and and go down the lane and just viciously destroy someone the way he did. So, uh, yeah, he's taking some ill-advised shots still. I think we're just going to have to live with that with Dreek Whitehead. But but it's it's exciting to think about what the the next 10 days before the wake game and then the 10 days after that before we get into the real meat of the ACC schedule could do for his progression. It's possible I'm not sure, but it's possible that Derek Whitehead starts every game for the rest of the year. And and I think some of that, Jason, will depend on his continued development over the break because there are a lot – I think there are a lot of questions now, especially knowing that Roach's injury is bad enough to have at least kept him out of one game. There are a lot of questions about sort of what the minutes distribution will look like even over the next few weeks once Duke returns from this exam break because – Mark Mitchell is up and down uh, to, to 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 divert a little bit from the good. Mark Mitchell's up and down. Uh, you know, Tyrese Proctor is up and down. Derek Whitehead is up and down. So there are. It, it feels like there are a lot of combinations that that could be working for John Shire right now. And it and the good thing is that headed into the break, they have a little bit more film of the non Roach team, so that they can sort of see like, okay, how did how did some of these. Uh, how did some of these sets work? How did some of these lineup combinations work? I'll just say on Whitehead, um, it, it still feels to me, I think I agree with Jason, it still feels to me like he's he's getting up to speed. You know, look at how small this Maryland Eastern Shore team is. Uh, I, I'm I'm not I'm not taking much away from from Whitehead being able to to slam awesome dunks on a team of guys who are, I think, all smaller than him. Yeah, and and he really, you know, the thing about Whitehead's performance yesterday is like I said it really happened in that one little three minute segment it's not like this guy you know when Duke was stretching things out early you know at the start of the game or anything like that it's not like he was dominant there you know I, I think let's not get too carried away I mean I'm the guy who said oh he may not you know he may start every game the rest of the year so maybe I'm the guy getting carried away uh but there with me it's just that there's so much more that we know that he can do and he's but he's got to get more efficient. Like even even having a big game, even leading the team in scoring, he missed way too many shots. And and for me personally, uh, probably this game was Duke's last best chance to notch a uh, hundred points. So uh, good job by me saying Duke's not scoring a hundred points this season. Uh, thank you, Jeremy Roach, for for sitting that one out and and having the the long bench play for a while. Jason, I want to also talk about Jaden Shoot. We mentioned that he had one of his best games, three three-pointers made. Uh, he had, I'll spoil it, uh, my favorite play of the game, which was that little step-back three-pointer in the corner that I did not realize was in his arsenal because of how much, you know, how limited his playing time has been. So 
Jason, tell me a little bit about Jaden Shute's performance last night. So, you know, we start with our headlines and so does John Shire. When John Shire comes in to do his post-game press conference, the very first thing he does is give an opening statement, which is essentially his headline on the game. And I think it is quite significant that John Shire's headline, the first thing he talked about was the play of Jaden Shute in this game. He he said that shoot has been working as hard as anybody in practice and that it's starting to really pay off. He said that shoot has been playing the role of the best opposing player on the scout team. And he talked about how important that is for the team's development, that someone, you know, sort of steps up and says, okay, I'll, I'll take on that job. And in fact, this was kind of weird, but Shire said that, that he himself, that Shire, when he was at Duke at, at one time was playing the role of the best player on the, on the scout team. I was like, wait, when would he have had, that's weird. I don't know when he would have had that job. Maybe, was, maybe at some point in his freshman season, but even in his freshman no, he's, season, he was he playing started, a lot. He started virtually every game as, now as a sophomore, he was like the sixth man. Um, Because Kyrie was there, right? Wait, no, Kyrie wasn't there. No, they didn't, I, no, they didn't overlap. Later. I don't know why he, whatever. <laughs> if you look back at his stats, I need to, you know, I'm an old man. My memory is not there. But if you look back at his stats, John Shire didn't, was it was like the sixth man as a sophomore. He he wasn't the starter. So maybe as the sixth, but it just seems. Jason. Anyway, I'm getting off track. Yeah. The, well, th- there was, there is one player that I remember sort of famously having this role, which was Seth Curry, because when Seth Curry transferred to Duke, they had very strict rules about guys who, you know, if you, if you transferred, you had to sit out a year. There were very few exceptions. So Seth Curry transferred to Duke after the 2009 season from Liberty. He was, uh, you know, he was a, he was a non-playing player in the 2009, 2010 season, of course, when Duke won the national championship and the, the team talked a lot that season about Seth Curry playing this exact role. And, you know, well, you know, if, if original, Dante Jones did the same thing, the original was Dante Jones, who mm-hmm. supposedly busted Shane Battier's ass in practice every in single 2001. every single day in 2001. And, and, and the guys in that team talk extensively, talk to me extensively about how great Dante Jones was as as the scout team leader in, in 2001. Anyway. We've gotten way far afield from Jaden Shute, but I thought it was really interesting that John Shire said that Jaden Shute was taking on that role and that that's a really important role. There have been some, and he said there have been some great Duke players who had that role and then evolved into great players. In any event, I just think the fact that Jaden Shute got minutes with the regular guys, he wasn't just playing with the scrubs. And and that's that's a significant upgrade. Now I know that part of it was probably that Jeremy Roach wasn't around, and so the guard rotation sort of moves up a little bit, and that creates extra minutes for him. But I thought for the first time all year, Jaden Shute looked like he belonged with the regulars, with the with the starters and the and the other guys who are in the rotation. I thought his defense was markedly improved from what it's been in the past. John Shire pointed out that the very first thing that Jaden Shute did when he came in the game was grab an offensive rebound. And he he was he did a really nice shoot did a really nice job on the boards in this game. Now, of course, it's easy to look and say he was three for three from three. And by the way, all three of them, like I love the one where he pump faked a guy, took a dribble, stepped behind the line, and buried that that three pointer. He had great awareness of the three point line, which is what you you desperately want from a guy who's going to be a, a big outside shooter. Th- this Duke team has struggled with three point shooting. And Jaden Shute could be part of the answer. Now, I'm not saying that he's going to play 10-plus minutes per game in ACC games going forward, but I think it's very possible that we've seen the beginnings of him being more than just a mop-up guy. Uh, you know, I don't know exactly what the role is. And maybe maybe when Roach comes back, he's, he's back to being the 10th man and Shire's only playing a nine-man rotation. But there's a, there's a possibility here that Duke is now moving to a 10-man rotation and that Jaden Shute has earned more significant time. First of all, shout out to my boy, Jeff Lamb, for uh, just on the last episode, right before he sent us a question about Jaden Shute and what he needed to do to get on the floor. Jeff, just keep sending emails about Jaden Shute, because obviously every time you do, he steps on the court and he does well. Um, but I think when it comes to Jaden Shute, you mentioned, Jason, two things. We, we talked about this in the last episode. He needed to shoot well when he was on the floor, and he needed to play good defense to stay on the floor. 
Well, he stayed on the floor 19 minutes, which means his defense was pretty good. Like you're not just going on the floor for 19 minutes just to shoot threes and get out of there. That to stay on the floor, you have to play good defense, especially on this team where we play excellent defense so far this season. He needs to be a guy who can keep guys in front of him, and he was doing that. Also on the three point side, you mentioned the step back three pointer. He also had that kind of running three pointer in the corner, right in the second half, right in front of the Duke bench, where he kind of like took a couple steps to the left. And as he was doing that, he shot it and it went in. Those are confidence builders. And as this game is going to be a great confidence boost for him, the one thing that he will need to work on during the break is to become more than just a three-point shooter. Because in ACC season, you know, when if you're just a three-point shooter, you either have to be very good at getting your shot off, like a Steph Curry, where everyone on the floor knows he can, you know, shoot from anywhere. Or it's same with JJ, right? When JJ was on the team, he was able to get around and work his way and get open. Even though the entire gym knew he was shooting threes, he still got his threes off. He needs to be able to create a shot or to develop a play where he can, you know, either pass to somebody or become a second dimensional threat where the team can't just, you know, when, when the other team uh, sees him check into the game, they don't just go, Hey, three point shooter and just have them, you know, guarded outside the, outside the uh, arc he needs to be able to develop something else that he'll be able to get that shot off or to create something else. So uh, I liked what I saw from him last night. Again, a really big confidence boost. He stayed in the game. He did well on defense and that uh, if we're going to need, if we're going to have a nine, 10 man bench, he's going to be that guy that needs to get hot very quickly and also be able to sustain defense while our starters are off the court. On a, another uh, stats game related topic, uh, Derek Lively almost goes for a 10-5-5, but in a in a slightly unconventional way because the closest he got to 10 was in the rebounding category. He goes for nine rebounds, eight points, and five blocks. We can't count it as a 10-5-5, but, but a pretty nice uh, stat stuffer yesterday for, for Derek Lively. And he keys uh, what I think was a, you know, sort of expectedly dominant rebounding performance for Duke. I, I'm In a way, I'm almost disappointed that they don't go over 50% on offensive rebounding opportunities. But Jason, can you talk a bit about the rebounding effort yesterday for Duke and and specifically the continued growth of Derek Lively? Yeah, you know, I've bagged on Derek Lively the past few weeks for not getting more rebounds. We've seen the rim protection and we've seen his ability to finish in the, in the paint, you know, on, on pick and rolls and, and that kind of stuff. But the fact that he is, the fact that he's now adding a little bit of rebounding to the mix is is a big deal it matters and most of those stats that you cited there sam most of it came in the first half he he was he was pretty dominant in the paint for for large stretches of the first half of this of this that ball first game. six minutes he was otherworldly yeah it was <laughs> it was impressive um you know blocking shots grabbing rebounds get, getting some scoring stuff that that was the Derek lively that people have said was the best recruit in the class and and a future nba lottery pick and and it's just so exciting when we get to see more and more glimpses of of that player and and hopefully see him playing that way for longer stretches. Uh, I'm glad you brought up the rebounding. I mean, we told you that Maryland Eastern Shore was a tiny team. Man, we just destroyed them on the boards. 14 offensive rebounds. Sam, like you said, we almost got to 50%. Our offensive rebounding rate was 48.3%. By the way, Maryland Eastern Shore only had five offensive rebounds. Just a 15% offensive rebounding rate. Ouch. It's... It, Really tough to even be in a game when your offensive rebounding rate is that low. And then the other thing I wanted to mention about this Duke team really quick was was the defense. We have now, for the seventh time in 12 games, an, an opponent failed to score 60 points against us. We have now held every single opponent this year, every single team we've played, all 12 of them, have failed to reach their scoring average for the season. Think about that. No one that plays Duke has an average offensive game against us. That's, I mean, that's impressive. I know Ken Pomeroy says that right now Duke is like the 21st best defense in the country. I, I think they're better than that. I, we've heard it all year that, that, that this team's calling card, John Shire says, is going to be their defense. And and I just think that there's, there's absolutely no question that that's where this team is going to. If they're going to have a big run, it's going to be at the defensive end because they I, I'm still flabbergasted that we haven't had a single opponent yet reach their scoring average against us. Wow. And on that topic, 
like I think that the defense will continue to get better because we haven't seen the the lineup stabilization that usually helps you get that you know that over that final hump in in terms of defensive development because a lot of defense is reacting to the other guys on your team so you know all these players are still sort of figuring out okay we have like for example last night the starting lineup has has barely all played together so all right we have this we have this group on the floor you know how do we react to to certain situations and again hopefully the the break gives them a bit of an opportunity to to reset on that recalibrate expectations and maybe have guys start trying different things on defense that they weren't quite comfortable with early in the season. Donald, uh, finish us off in the good. What what else do you have from this game? Yeah, real quickly on the rebounding, I think when you look at the the rebounds, it was spread amongst a lot of guys. We had five guys, I want to say, uh, that had more than five rebounds, and we almost had a sixth in Mark Mitchell. So a lot of guys getting rebounds. I think the one thing also that was good, assists. We had 18 assists on 31 made baskets. Again, we talked about because how short they are, we could pass over them and 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 look for open guys in corners. We did a lot of that last night. We need to continue that ball movement, even if the team happens to be bigger than than this team, which, you know, all but five teams or whatever it is in college basketball is bigger than this team we faced last night. But to be able to pass the ball and find open men is going to be key in the ACC season, moving the ball around. We've been doing that very well this season. I hope it continues. So as we transition to the bad, maybe the 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 decent assist rate uh, also should be mentioned right next to uh, Duke's turnover total from mm-hmm. last night. Again, against a, a team like Eastern Shore, uh, Duke turns the ball over 19 times, which is is ugly sort of in any situation. That's it's not, it's ju- that's it's, just such a bad number. And it's you know, not every- like that was even coming from, you know, from the guys deep on the bench who, who sort of came in in, in garbage time. I, I, yeah, same, I was just gonna say. I was just gonna say every regular, except for Jaden Shoot, had at least one turnover. There's no yeah, one and, who no one who didn't fall for this. And and Proctor turns it over four times. Kyle Filipowski, who is usually pretty good with the ball. I mean, it's not like he's doing a ton of dribbling, but he is dribbling. He is he is passing. He is he is sort of integral to the offense. Uh, Kyle Filipowski gets the ball stripped a couple times from him, which you know maybe this is a little. Uh, this is a little like lazy play during, you know, while, while they're playing to a down opponent, but I don't love that sort of lack of, of intensity, even in a game like this, Jason, anything else that you sort of think you could attribute the, the, the turnover issue to uh, for Duke last night? Uh, Yeah. I I think a lot of it was the speed of the game because this was, this was a a contest where there, there were just, there were more possessions. It was a faster game. Than, than most of the games we've played this year. Uh, there were 71 possessions in this game. That's the most we've had in a game since the Delaware game on November 18th. You guys remember when we played Delaware? <laughs> Feels like a long time ago. And, and I think that the speed of the game led to some of that sloppiness. But it, it was, it, it, to me, it was just a lot of careless play. Uh, it, it's a lot that Maryland Eastern Shore sort of plays frenetically, um, frankly, because they're not a very good team. And and they 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 have to play fast and out of control because I'm not sure they're capable of of slowing the game down and, and playing in control. And the other thing about it is, you know, part part of the turnovers were were these freshmen. And, and you know, we talked about Filipowski had a bunch, Tyrese Proctor had a bunch, Mark Mitchell. Uh, you know, my my biggest bad probably other than the turnovers was that Mark Mitchell. Uh, made some just really bad turnovers. He he had a great, I mean, like Mark Mitchell had his best game of the season against Iowa. He had arguably his worst game of the season against Maryland Eastern Shore back-to-back. And and he got so frustrated that at one point uh, they showed on uh, him on the bench and John Shire wasn't even paying attention to the game because he was focused on talking to Mark Mitchell. Uh, I'm not sure if he was scolding him or <laughs> or trying to buck him up a little bit. You know, different players need different things. But man, Mark Mitchell was was awful in this game, and and the turnovers by everybody. Um, it, it was a turnover performance that should have led to the game being. If Duke had been playing a a better team, it it would have been a huge huge problem. I think for me, the mental exhaustion has to also be a factor. I mean, they've played twelve games in thirty four days, and John Shire. He didn't really talk much about the turnovers in his postgame presser, like his his headlines, if you will, Jason. He mentioned that, yeah, it could have been better, but he also 
really hyped up the fact that, hey, these guys need a break. They've been playing a lot of games in a short period of time. And as freshmen, again, they kind of got thrown to the wolves in the sense of the college basketball season was just very unforgiving and them not being able to mentally take a break. This is what this, these next nine days will give us, hopefully, is a, is a mental break of sorts where they can kind of re you know refocus on the on the details uh, the attention to detail wasn't there last night a lot of these i think they had seven turnovers on the first like four minutes of the game and it was mainly because we would steal the ball from or get a block and then immediately turn the ball back over and there was that there's a stretch of like three minutes or so where it felt like both teams had like eight turnovers apiece because they were just throwing the ball back and forth to each other or throwing the ball out of bounds and not a lot of shots were going off in that in that time frame so I think the mental exhaustion is there and hopefully this break will help them recalibrate and also again, focus on the fact that, Hey, like you said, Jason, these turnovers can kill you when a team is, uh, is much better than you, Maryland Eastern shore, which a lot of teams in D one are, we got to make sure we take care of the basketball while we're taking the ball away from them. That part is great, but we have to take care of the basketball when we do. Jason, while you were, uh, making the comparison between the Eastern shore game and the Delaware game. I was thinking to myself about how uh, I don't think they're neighbors because Delaware is all the way up in Wilmington and Eastern shore is all the way down in Salisbury, but uh, Maryland Eastern shore and Delaware are both residents of the Delmarva peninsula. And so I'm worried that if Duke has to play another Delmarva team that, that, you know, things go South. So I, I looked it up. Uh, I believe the only other Delmarva team that is in division one is Delaware state, which plays uh, in the same conference as Maryland Eastern shore. And I can tell you, Miak. I'm super worried about Delaware state, but uh, Delaware state so far, this season is one in nine and their only win is against a, a non-division one school. So uh, no more, no more games against Delmarva this season for, for I mean, hope, hopefully Sam, uh, a team doesn't come out of acetate because they got some thoroughbreds over there. Um, and we can't have that, <laughs> Donald. That is that is deep cuts, uh, mid Atlantic. Like, I don't even know wow. if Jason gets the, the I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> oh, the wild horses of Assateague Island, Jason. You clearly didn't go to fourth grade in the state of Maryland where you, we learned all about that. <laughs> no, no, no idea. I, I, you were saying words that could be made up as far as I'm concerned. I've never heard of these things. Everyone in the DMV will understand exactly what I said, and if you did dbrpodcast at gmail.com tell me about it uh i did a i did a project in fourth grade on talbot county maryland i'm i'm super up to date on <laughs> on the eastern shore okay uh anything <laughs> jason's looking at us like they have four heads what is i have no i don't even know i'm gonna give you guys some georgia history quiz at some point to, to make up for all this sea That's island fine. savannah yeah yeah uh, uh I don't know. Hit me. Stone Mountain. Do you want to go back and forth naming obscure Georgia cities? I, I, I bet uh, I can be. Ever been to Rabin Gap? Nope. Warner <laughs> Robbins. Warner, no, Warner Robbins is big time. That's Rome, way bigger than Georgia. Rabin Gap. Rome, Georgia. Uh, K-Row, K- Georgia. The... Don't call it Cairo. Oh, God. That's Dalton, a good one. Georgia, wreck go on a carpet ride. <laughs> All right. Are we done with Let's the Let's go to break. break? Let's go to break. All right. We're, yeah. Guys, we're going to take a break when we get back. We are going to uh, give out our Player of the Week award. We're going to tell you what the highlight was from this game because we do have to stretch out the segments today. There's not much left. And I will give Jason a little gambling time at the end. Stick around. We are back and we are talking highlights from the Maryland Eastern Shore game. I have finally committed myself to recognizing that the highlights are part of the agenda for this program. So, Donald, give me your highlight from the Maryland Eastern Shore game. It's in the second half, like I mentioned, when Derek Whitehead uh, thoroughly, he just kind of drove the lane and then one felt swoop. It went from the ball was, you know, basically at his knee to the ball was over his head and being yammed into the rim in front of some Poor, poor Maryland Eastern Shore player who just did not see this coming. I, I don't, I, half the bench didn't see it coming. Half the fans didn't see it coming. I saw it coming though, uh, but that was my favorite play of the game. Jason, what you got? So uh, it, it, it's easy to pick the the Whitehead slam and 
that probably is my favorite play of the game, but I just went ahead and picked a different one for the sake of variety. There was a there was a moment about 12 minutes left in the second half when Tyrese Proctor made a pass to Jaden shoot for a three pointer that was such an absurd pass. I urge folks, if you have this game on DVR, go back and watch it. I don't think we're giving enough credit to Tyrese Proctor's creativity with the ball. Dude made, you know, it's one of these passes like across your body. I don't even know how he made it, but it was like on a line. He really zipped it hard. Tyrese Proctor is going to be a really special player, not just in a Duke uniform, but someday in the NBA. And and I thought that play, I love the pass, and I love shoot burying the three-pointer. Those two freshmen, the, man, both those guys, they got some skills. They got some serious skills. I told you I was picking uh, Jaden Shute's sort of step back three because I just I, I love seeing that kind of that kind of NBA uh, moxie from a from a freshman who's barely getting off the bench so far this season. The other cool play, if we're talking about about fun passing, uh, Ryan Young had a sort of no look type of pass to Tyrese Proctor for a layup that was extremely nifty. So I, I, I love. I love when I love when Ryan Young gets to display that he's he's just a little bit smarter than everybody else on the court. And and it was funny. I was talking with my friend who I was watching this game with about how the team plays so differently when Lively is is on the floor versus Ryan Young. I don't know that there's a Duke team in recent memory, at least, where the identity of the center at that moment dictates so much about what the team's offense looks like. But things really run differently. Not not that one is necessarily better than the other, but the team really functions differently depending on who's playing the five. So it's sort of an interesting observation. Okay, let's pick our players of the week. Obviously, this was a a two win week for Duke. They they take down Iowa in the more meaningful game in Madison Square Garden. They take down Maryland Eastern Shore in Cameron. We did get a fun before I ask for your players of the week. We did get a fun email from Tom Wildermuth, who said that there's a big difference between Duke playing apparently in MSG versus Duke playing against a lowly non-conference opponent in Cameron. And uh, it was, it, you know, it, it, in a way, it's it's almost refreshing to hear that because uh, Cameron, they can they can rely on the crazies to turn them up. Uh, but but if they're if they're playing well in, in big arenas, then that's got to be a good sign for this team. So with all that, uh, let me hear your players of the week. Jason, why don't you take it first? Uh, this is a really tough week, by the way, because Mark Mitchell scored 17 points against Iowa, played great D on Keegan Murray, and then got just two points in very limited playing time and, and a bunch of turnovers against Maryland Eastern Shore. Jeremy Roach has his best offensive game of the season against Iowa and then doesn't play against Maryland Eastern Shore because it is player of the week, the whole week. I feel like both those guys, you know, you're allowed to pick them if you want, but for me, I went. I can't take the guy who didn't play and I can't take the guy who had his worst game of the season. So with those two out of the running, despite playing great against Iowa and I was the most important game, I went with Tyrese Proctor. He had 15 points and some, I already pointed out some really creative passing against Maryland Eastern shore. And I thought he had a very nice game against Iowa as well. In that Iowa game, he had the second most minutes of anybody on the team and had zero, zero turnovers uh, playing against some, you know, very experienced and very good perimeter players for Iowa. So Tyrese Proctor's my pick as player of the week. Yeah, I think that's a good one. Um, I, I did not go with him. I was hoping that someone else would so that I can go with Dariq Whitehead. Uh, Dariq Whitehead, 23 points in the week, becoming more comfortable in the offensive end, starting to see a lot more of why he's considered such a dynamic player and really looking forward to the, you know, the next few, you know, a couple of weeks to see how that game will continue to emerge. But, you know, for his progression just over the last week. I mean, you know, again, he had his best game of the season against Iowa at the Garden and follow that up by his best game of the season against Maryland Eastern Shore. So I'm giving him my player of the week. Jason, I, I like the caveats that you put on about how it's hard to pick guys who only either played in one game or, or only played well in one game. With that being said, I'm going to take Jeremy Roach because he was so key down the stretch uh, against Iowa, sort of keeping keeping things uh, in in good shape for Duke. He was sort of the rock for that game, and and look, Duke had one of its best games of the season against Iowa, arguably its best game of the season against Iowa. And that game looks a lot like what an NCAA tournament game is going to look like for Duke in you know a hopeful Sweet Sixteen and Elite Eight. 
you could even imagine a game like that in the final four and and Duke looked really solid with with Jeremy Roach and then <laughs> and then just to prove how useful he is Duke comes out and looks you know kind of sloppy and 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 disorganized against uh, a team that we knew that they were going to beat the crap out of. So for that reason, I'm taking Jeremy Roach because he sort of proved this week just how essential he is to this team to be at its best in in big moments. Sam, I I love. I, I now feel. God, you're so much smarter than I am. I wish I had taken Jeremy Roach. Oh, stop that! <laughs> no, no. I, I wish I'd taken Jeremy Roach and said the fact that he didn't play against Maryland Eastern Shore and we look so awful is why. He should be player, the of the player of the week. It's really exactly. it's smart, yeah. man. It's smart. Well, I, I I come up with with good ideas occasionally here, Jason. Let's finish this episode with uh, with your gambling observations. You said you were in AC. You you sent us some uh, some yes. some NCAA basketball championship lines for for certain teams, and uh, and and you were asking us sort of who you liked. So so give us your rundown about the state of, of college basketball and the odds for national championships here sort of at the end of, of non-conference play. So there were a few interesting, I, I, I was in Atlantic city. I went with a buddy of mine. We were going to go play in some poker tournaments. I'll get to that in a moment. There, there were some very interesting choices, possibilities for winning the national title. Duke is at 18 to one. They've come down a little bit from where they were in the preseason and I went ahead and put a little bit of money on the Blue Devils at 18 to 1. I'm not sure that it's the smartest bet I've ever made, but but I always, whenever I'm whenever I get a chance, you know, if I'm if I'm in AC or, or Vegas, I, I put some money down on Duke to win the national title. The other one that I thought was really interesting, Virginia's at 20 to 1. And I I kind of love that number. I think Virginia, they're 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 pretty darn good. And they're very experienced. And I think Virginia at 20 to 1. Is a very very attractive bet. I I didn't make the bet myself. <laughs> uh, I I typically I try not to bet on other teams to to beat Duke. So winning the national title means you have to do better than Duke. So I did not pick Virginia, but but I thought that was a very intriguing possibility possibility of a wager that could be made. the The wager I did make that was really cool and really fun, and I had a great time doing it was on Friday night. I I sat in the sports book and watched a bunch of NBA games. And I made a parlay on several Dukies in the NBA. And I, I want to get you guys' reaction to this. So so I the parlay was on on them scoring the over in points because it was, you know, individual player points. I went with Zion Williamson over 24 and a half, Paulo Bancaro over 20 and a half, and Mason Plumley over nine and a half. Which one of those do you think I was sweating the most? <laughs> it was Mason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, Mason actually made it with ease, uh, but there was a moment like in the third quarter of the of the, the Charlotte was playing the Knicks where Mason had nine points, and I was like, "There's a very real possibility here that Charlotte just takes him out of the game and he never comes back in the game." Like a guy who doesn't play a ton, like you know, Mason's play is sometimes sporad uh, sporadic, not consistent. Betting, betting the over on their points, I was nervous. I was very scared. So those three guys all made it for me. And and I won, it was, you know, I won like six to one on my money on that on that wager. So that was a very nice one. I, I made a mistake though. I should have included RJ Barrett. They had RJ Barrett at an, at over 19 and a half points. And RJ hadn't scored more than 20 points in several games. So I did not put him in my parlay. If I had, it, my odds would have gone from like, like six to one to like 12 to one. It would have been a huge parlay and RJ ended up scoring like 24 points on Friday night. So I made a bad call and not including RJ in my parlay, but the Duke players uh, did nicely for me. The other thing I wanted to mention, I will go ahead and brag. Uh, I I won my first like real legitimate poker tournament. I, I, I played in a poker tournament on, on Thursday evening. Uh, it was a $225 buy-in. There were about 40 players in the tournament. I guess technically, I kind of won it and didn't win it because I got to the final table. I got to the final two. It was me and one other guy. We both had pretty even stacks. And rather than play it all out, we decided to just split the first and second place prize pool. It would have probably taken us 45 minutes, an hour or more to play it out just because it, we, we each had a lot, lot, lot of chips. But it's the first time, as far as I'm concerned, I won. <laughs> and so this is the first time I've ever won a poker tournament. It was you know, not like I've, I've won friendly ones with with friends like, you know, 
but this was like a legit thing. And then the very next day on Friday, I played in another tournament that had about 60 players and I made a deep run in that tournament. I finished 12th uh, and they paid the top nine. And that would have been, that would have been, that was a $400 buy-in. That would have been big money. Um, so that, I had as good a two days playing poker as I ever have had. And it was a lot of fun. So Jason, first off, congratulations on the, uh, on the tournament. I asked you sent pictures uh, of us uh, or to us of you at the table. Um, that's awesome. Um, really, really like big, big old stack of the, chips in front of me. You see all those chips in front of me. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> uh, that, that, that's like an image where everyone's like, yo, how much of that you keep? And you're just like, I keep enough. Like this is right, cool. Right. Um, I did have, you were mentioning some of the, the bets that you made. I have a bad beat, a very bad beat that I need to share with you two. It's not in the basketball world. Um, yesterday, obviously England played France in soccer in the world cup. And my friend made a bet. $10 that Harry Kane would have two shots on goal in each half and England would have nine shots on target for the game. Now, you guys know that England lost two to one, mainly in part due to a Harry Kane missed penalty. Now, Harry Kane's missed penalty went way over the net, so it was not counted as a shot on target. Oh, my. <laughs> he not only oh my. <laughs> ended the game with one shot on target in the second half, England ended with eight shots on target for the game. Oh, that penalty kick that he aced to the beast would have made him $2,700. Oh my good God. That is a Donald man. That is a, Hey, look, my friend is heated. And I'm going to tell you right now, Harry Kane is on site. Like if one of us sees you, you're going to have, you're going to come up, you're going to come up with $2,700. Cause man, that is a bad beat. I, I am sure that, that that outcome is the worst thing for Harry Kane about missing that shot. <laughs> yep, it, it, it will be. <laughs> he, he's he's devastated about that specifically. Uh, hey, I got I got one more fun bad beat story that happened Friday night when we were uh, watching the NBA. So my, my buddy Andy and I, uh, who were in Atlantic City together, uh, there were these other guys who were seated behind us in, in the sports book. And this one guy was making like some really fun bets. Like he had the over-under on the Sixers-Lakers game for the first quarter only, first quarter. And the over the number was 48 and a half. And the teams were at 48, and there was like six seconds left. And like, he's standing up. We're all screaming like, oh, my God, no one scored, no one scored, you know? And the Sixers take the ball down the floor, and they've got nothing going on. The ball, like, goes out to the wing. Joel Embiid is standing almost out of bounds. He's like at the three-point line. There are two guys on him. He's falling out of bounds, and he drains this crazy three-pointer to hit the over and this guy had this guy had the under and so this guy lost on just the most absurd Joel Embiid like you have no business taking that shot kind of shot uh it would it, it there's nothing like being in a sports book with a bunch of like ten dollar you know five ten twenty dollar wagers on exotic crazy stuff and then going crazy when they happen or don't happen it was a lot of fun or uh you could continue to basically ignore the whole enterprise as I mostly do and and <laughs> You're missing out, and, man. It's and live life like a like a normie. But uh, I'm I'm happy for you, Jason. When uh, when when the beats bounce your way, so we we root for that because maybe you'll make enough that you can sponsor the next uh, DBR Final Four trip. So, <laughs> yes, yeah, uh, right. Yeah, I, I root I root for our collective prosperity. All right, guys, we're gonna get out of here on on that unless uh, Jason has more has more gambling observations. No, no, no. But but hey, just super super quick, and we don't have time to talk about. It, but I do want to mention all of their names. The Duke inducted uh, the Duke Duke inducted several former basketball, soccer, football, all kinds of stuff, different people into the Hall of Fame over the weekend. And we should at least mention them on this podcast. So I'm going to give you the list really fast. Uh, um, Alana Beard of women's basketball, national player of the year. Hell of a player. Classic uh, 2004. Um, let's go. Yeah. Uh, Amanda Blumhurst of women's golf, who I remember like was unbelievable. Uh, Ali Curtis at men's soccer, who I believe was soccer player of the year. Um, mm -hmm. uh, Kevin Kassir, I'm not as familiar with him because I don't follow men's lacrosse, but he made the Hall of Fame. Anthony Dilwig made it in football. I mean, if you don't remember the Anthony Dilwig, that 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 guy could sling the ball all over the field in football. Um, Carlos Boozer. Carlos made the Duke Heard Hall of, of Fame. Um, and then uh, a couple administrator slash coaches, Gail Gostencourse, 
who who really elevated Duke women's basketball in a big, big, big way. And Jackie Seiler, who if you follow Duke sports over the years and you haven't heard the name Jackie Seiler, I don't know what you're doing. She's she was as involved in the Duke administration as anybody. And to some extent, I believe, sort of paved the way for Duke to now have a female athletic director. Jackie Seiler is a huge person in, in Duke athletics. So congratulations to all of them on being inducted to the Hall of Fame. A lot of those names are like, yo, what took so long? Like, like a lot of names yeah. from when I was yeah. in school or or just after where you're just like, yo, it took that long to get to the hall, but all well-deserved. Congratulations to all of them. <laughs> Donald, I was going to make the same point. I don't understand why Alana Beard wasn't already in the the Duke Sports Hall of Fame. She was a national player of the year. So it, like, you know. And Carlos her numbers Boozer, retired. Yeah, Carlos Boozer doesn't even have his number retired. So uh, it seems weird that, that it would have taken until now. Uh, I also mentioned on uh, Amanda Blumenhurst, the uh, the golfer who was so successful at Duke and then had a had a nice um, professional career. Also married to a Duke athlete, Nate Fryman, who played Major League Baseball. So uh, all kinds of all kinds of fun uh, Duke connections there. So yes, congratulations to all of the uh, inductees and uh, congratulations to us on making it through another episode if we're not congratulating ourselves then uh, we're not really practicing the kind of self-care that everyone needs on a sunday morning in december so for we're we are now on exam break uh we'll be back at some point to to preview duke's uh beginning well re-beginning of acc season they're they're one and oh they did beat boston college uh so so duke heads into the exam break one and oh in acc play they look to go 20 and oh that's what we are rooting for so for jason evans and for donald wine i am sam klein stay in touch with us dbr podcast at gmail.com we will talk to you again soon this has been dbr podcast and this is the duke band to take us home